Hi there and welcome to another Oslip podcast. My name is Todd Fraser. For many doctors in Australia, ongoing learning is about to change significantly with the introduction of CPD homes for the first time. Anne Tonkin is the chair of the Medical Board of Australia and she joins me to talk us through the imminent changes. Anne, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Todd. And what's the rationale for the changes that have been made to CBD requirements for registration in Australia? Um, well, the board was very concerned that CPD was improving enormously when it was being done um, by colleges um, at the time. The, the colleges were the only bodies that were supporting people to do CPD. But the, the people who were left out of that system, who didn't have a college, who were doing CPD on their own, um, were not necessarily doing um, very effective CPD. And so we wanted to level the playing field and redesign CPD so that everybody um, would get quality lifelong learning. That was the fundamental um, uh, the fundamental motivation and we wanted people the time people put into their CPD to give them relevant and effective and evidence-based education that would support them in staying good practitioners right through their career. What was the process that was followed in terms of defining what the new requirements would be? Well, it went for a very long time. So we started back in 2016. The expert advisory group was set up uh, with experts in education and experts in CPD. Um, and we asked that group to review the evidence about what the best process would be for, for CPD um, and then to make some um, suggestions for us to when we reviewed our registration standard on CPD because that's the mechanism for requiring people to do CPD. So we developed the new registration standard based on the evidence that the uh, EAG came up with and their recommendations, and we consulted on that in our usual way. If anyone's interested in the evidence, it's on the board's website. Um, and so we um, we were very keen to make this as evidence-based as we could, and um, that's why we went with the changes that we've, we've got. And what are the changes that have been introduced um, that effectively have come into place on the 1st of January in 2023, but really will roll out in 2024? Yes. Um, so there has been a staged rollout, if you like. Um, for people who were doing their CPD with a college, um, there are fewer changes than for people who weren't. Um, but for everybody, we're going to be asking that they have a C what we're calling a CPD home, so an organisation that will uh, assist them, support them to do their CPD. Um, and everybody needs to have uh, a CPD home sometime during 2024 so that by the time they come round to a renewal of registration in September, they will be able to tick a box to say, I've got a CPD home and I've done CPD according to the new standard. So the new standard is the other thing that's changed and that requires uh, several things that are different from previously. The first is that everybody needs to produce a CPD plan, a professional development plan, if you like, which then lets them work out what they need to do to fill any perceived gaps they may have in their knowledge or skills um, and plan their CPD so that it's not just randomly going to whatever lectures happen to be available at the time, but that it's focused on, on what they actually need. 
So we want them to do that, um, and that can count towards the number of hours of CPD that we want them to do, and that hasn't changed from the old standard. That's still 50 hours. Um, the activities need to be relevant to scope of practice, um, as I said, not, not just random um, activities. Within the minimum 50 hours a year of CPD, we want people to spend at least half of that doing high-value activities such as uh, reviewing their own performance or measuring outcomes, some sort of quality improvement activity for at least half of that. And then for um, 12 and a half hours, so half of the remainder, we would expect people to do traditional um, medical education lectures and, and those kinds of things. Um, and we uh, would let people spend the last quarter of the time on whichever of the things they want to, to do, whichever activities they want to do. We also, to close the evaluation loop, we would like people to look back at the end of um, the CPD year, probably with the assistance of their CPD home is the best way, just to see what they've covered off on their professional development plan and what needs to be carried over to next year and how effective it's been and so on. And that will all inform the writing of the next um, of the next year's professional development plan. And a lot of uh, people listening to this podcast will have been doing their CPD uh, by themselves without a CPD home. And it sounds like that's no longer possible. Um, what are your recommendations to them? Yeah, that, that is not possible anymore. Um, we want everybody to, have, well, we require everybody to have a CPD home. And I think once people have found one, uh, and there are several, there are uh, there are colleges and there are non-college organisations, once people have found one and experienced doing CPD with the assistance of that organisation, they'll realise that it's actually a, a really good thing to do and it gives them much better quality CPD um, than it's possible to do by yourself. You touched on uh, the need for a CPD plan. What needs to go into a plan? How do people go about developing that plan? Yeah, we don't want it to be, it doesn't have to be war and peace. You know, it doesn't have to be really long and complicated. We just want people to think about what they need to learn in the next year uh, to keep up to date with what might have changed within their area of practice or to brush up on something that they haven't thought about for a while or whatever. Um, and that connects the learning that they then will do to the needs that they have for, for learning. And we all have that all the time because medicine changes so quickly. Um, so it just will match our, the way in which we're all gathering our knowledge and skills. It matches that to updates and changes in practice and keeps us all up to date. So a lot of CPD homes, and I know my own college um, with which I do my CPD has done this for the last couple of years, um, are putting out templates for the plan. So it makes the plan really easy to do. And it's only about half a screen long. It's online and it's really pretty easy to do. So it really just needs to, to, to identify in whatever way the person finds most comfortable what their learning goals and learning needs are. And there's fair to say a fair bit of consternation in the community about the changes that require people to monitor their outcomes and review their performance. Can you explain what the rationale for this is in a little bit more detail and what sort of activities might uh, that apply to? Because there are a number of people who are trying to work out how they could actually achieve those types of outcomes. Yes, I, I know that has been a, a cause of concern. Um, and I think 
Possibly what people might not be doing is recognising that a lot of the things they do within their regular practice might be suitable to count towards um, measuring outcomes and reviewing performance. So, you know, surgeons, for example, who do morbidity and mortality meetings, um, physicians who on their ward rounds go to the radiology department and do radiology meetings and, and check out what's happening with their patients, um, a lot of those things will be able to be counted as CPD in the new system where it might not have registered as being CPD before that. So it can be a formal audit of the person's own practice. It can be a 360-degree um, assessment of what they're doing. It might be um, a root cause analysis of something that went wrong or an incident report, something like that. Um, people might set up their own QI projects. You know, I might have... Um, for example, if I were a GP, I might think, well, how are all my diabetics tracking? You know, and these days we all have electronic records, most of us do. Um, you know, let's just go back and look at all of my diabetic patients and just see where their haemoglobin A1Cs are sitting. Um, something like that. People can do their own if they want to. But what I'm um, hoping and expecting is that um, the CPD homes will be able to advise people and help them and demystify this particular area. Speaking of the colleges, there's also a requirement for um, CPD homes to uh, provide the specialty high-level requirements that the colleges set. Uh, can you tell us a little bit, bit about that and what what's these types of requirements will be and how uh, users will need to go about addressing them? Yeah, so this is really a, an issue for the CPD home itself in that the colleges are the, the, the setters of the standards for specialist practice and the specialist in whatever area the college looks after um, are expected to do CPD that covers the things that the college thinks are important. So the high-level requirements that the colleges are setting are things that are, that are in addition to the basic requirements of the um CPD standard and it might be something like for example the college might say well all of our specialists should do an update in advanced um, resuscitation on a you know every third year or something like that or uh, every maybe people should do some course or other in acute management of something or other depending on the on the scope of practice the college can set that requirement and it will be up to the CPD home to make sure that their participants know that that exists for the people who are in that specialty and they need to, to um, abide by that and do what the other specialists in their area are doing. Just on that point, it now enables people to do CPD through a non-college option if they do want to be registered as a, as a specialist. How do you see that unfolding in, uh, in the new regime? It will be very interesting to see how that goes. Um, I know some of the colleges are concerned that um, some of their fellows may leave the college and do their CPD elsewhere. Personally, I don't think that's very likely. I don't particularly have any sense that I want to do that, and I, a lot of people I've talked to don't. The connection with the college is more than just CPD, and so staying connected to my college is important to me for a whole lot of reasons. But if somebody really doesn't want to stay connected to their college, then there will be options for them 
um, within other CPD homes for them to do their CPD. And I think it, it's important to note that specialist registration is not the same as fellowship. Fellowship is a qualification to earn specialist registration, um, but people can retain specialist registration if they do their CPD elsewhere, as long as they are meeting the high-level requirements. The other related area there, Anne, is around the program-level requirements which focus on the Code of Conduct. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so the the, um, the Code of Conduct is um, um, one of the areas that we want people to really pay some more attention to. Um, it's quite surprising um, in relation to what happens sometimes when when somebody finds themselves in difficulty with the board because they've had uh, a notification made about them, a notification of concern from usually a patient or a relative of a patient, um, that a number of them uh, at least say that they are not familiar with the Code of Conduct. So we do want people to be familiar with it. And then along the same lines, we're asking people to do some activities related to cultural safety because the board and APRA are both very committed to trying to uh, reduce and eliminate, essentially, in the end, racism from healthcare uh, and providing uh, culturally safe healthcare, particularly to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander patients, is a really important part of that. So we want people to keep that in their minds too when they're thinking about their professional development plan and working out what they need to do to, to stay current. And what can first-time users of CPD homes expect in terms of support from their CPD home if they are struggling to achieve the targets that uh, are set for them? Yeah, so it will depend a little on um, the individual CPD home and there are, there are different ways of achieving the same thing. So we're not telling people how to do things, we're just telling people what we want them to wind up with. And that is a, a supportive environment for the practitioner to do their CPD, uh, assistance and advice when the practitioner is um, unsure about how they should go about it, um, uh, assistance and advice for a, a, to write the PDP, um, professional development plan. Uh, some CPD homes are uh, going to be providing actual educational activities, but others won't necessarily do that. Um, but they will need to help practitioners keep track of what they've done, what they haven't done yet, how many hours they're up to, have they done their 25 hours combined of measuring um, outcomes and reviewing performance. So I would want to see the CPD home environment be a very supportive and helpful environment for people to um, to help them do CPD in a way that I think some people find CPD, the idea of CPD, a little bit overwhelming at the moment. And I'm hoping that the CPD homes will make it feel much less overwhelming. In the end, if the CPD home, which needs to keep track of what people have, have done and still are yet to do, if they identify somebody who's at risk of not getting to the to, to what they need to have done by the end of the year, then it would be great if the CPD homes, and I would expect the CPD homes to contact that person while there's still time to do it and help them to um, take the action that they need to take to get it done. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping people will find the CPD homes will be very supportive and helpful environments in which to do their CPD. The natural extension of that point is about 
uh, users who are unable to complete their um, their requirements. I guess they fall into two groups, those that have a valid reason for not completing and then another group who uh, refuse to comply. Can you talk about what the outcomes will be for those two groups? Yeah, I, I think it, it would be um, sad to think that there would be people who would refuse to comply. I, I think it's, it isn't as big an ask as people might think. It's a, an hour a week and it's the same number of hours as we had previously and what we've put in place is um, a standard that that will encourage people to do much higher value activities so that they'll get more out of it so I hope people won't refuse to comply um, but what we are going to ask is for the CPD home to uh, let us know who's been successful in meeting their requirements for the CPD um, and if there are people who are not compliant, then uh, we would ask the CPD homes to help them become compliant. If they're still not compliant for whatever reason, then the board may take regulatory action to encourage them. Sometimes in the past, we've had people who haven't complied with the previous CPD standard. Um, and the kinds of actions that, that we have taken in the past would be putting conditions on someone's registration to say, Yes, you can be registered, but you need to do more CPD or some extra makeup CPD to account for what you didn't do last year. We don't want to be punitive. Um, and we do recognise it's the responsibility of every professional person, including doctors, to make sure that they are up to date and practising in the, the best way that they can. So it's each individual's responsibility to meet the standard. Um, in, in the board's registration standards, when they tick the box, at renewal to say, yes, I have met the standard. They need to be honest about that um, and declare that when they renew their registration. So I'm really hoping there will be hardly any people in that position or, and, you know, ideally there would be none. Just to pick up on an earlier point, you mentioned that CPD homes don't necessarily need to provide educational content. The inference there is that that users are free to do content outside the actual CPD home. It's not a requirement for them to do the CPD home program, for instance. That's right. That's right. And people can pick and choose educational opportunities from a variety of sources. All of us need to have um, a professional indemnity provider, for example, and all of those organisations have got really good online education and sometimes in-person education as well and webinars and so on um, and podcasts. And so doing some of those things in conjunction with the other things you might do through your CPD home or you might have gone to a particularly interesting lecture at a university or something like that, um, those things can all be counted. As um, I mentioned before, things that people do within their usual working week can also be counted. Um, and the CPD home will, will be able to assist the, the doctor in determining which things are appropriate to be counted and which things might not be. But there'll be far more things that will be able to be counted than not. There's some conjecture around when these uh, changes take effect. You mentioned before that the changes do roll on into uh, 2024, um, but there seems to be a requirement for people to notify the board of their decision on who will be their CPD home by the time they register in September. Can you just add some clarity to that? That's right. So so people need to um, join or sign up to an AMC accredited CPD home before they start to do their CPD 
CPD for next year. And CPD goes by calendar years uh, now. So um, ideally they should join up before next year um, or very soon, very early in the new year. Um, and then they need to, to choose a, a CPD home that's suitable for their scope of practice. And there are some CPD homes that are very narrow in their scope of who they can cater for. There are others that are much broader. Um, and once they've nominated um, themselves to be a member of that CPD home, then that CPD home will work with them to help them get reach the requirements. We don't need to know which CPD home they have chosen until the time of registration, and we'll be asking people then to tell us who their CPD home was. But they shouldn't be leaving it until the week before renewal starts because that means they won't get in all the CPD they need to do before then. And it's a now a competitive marketplace, and I'm sure that that will encourage CPD homes to innovate and develop as they go along. Is that something that the board foresaw or encouraged as part of this process? Um, I think I'd be probably exaggerating if I said we foresaw it, um, but I think it is a good thing um, for people to be innovative uh, and to to you know provide better and better services. I think that's a great thing. So that, that will be uh, a good outcome of the new standard. And Tonkin, thanks so much for joining us on the, uh, on the podcast to explain the new changes to CPD. My pleasure, Todd. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. If you'd like to find out more about CPD homes, including a range of articles providing expert guidance on some of the activities you can use for your CPD, visit our website at oslacpdhome.com.au.